Sorry, we're getting started a few moments late. I apologize. We'll say, let us begin. Begin by thanking. Thank you, Moshe. Thank you. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for Tishrei. Dr. Linda Weinberg, Sarah and Ricky Gratz, Julia, Rina, and Eve in loving memory of their husband, father, and Zayda. Dr. Paul Weinberg, Peretz Moshe, Ben Avram David. To thank our Tomatora sponsors for the, the month of Tishrei, Ayal and Sarah Steinberg in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema, for Shulamis Bas Susha, Adam and Yudit Benzev in the Schuss of all of our Tfilos being Niskabel. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Hilary Jacobs in Kent and Akiva Kent in memory of Mordechai Menashe Ben Shmario, Nathan and Beth Adler in memory of Ben Adler, Chavar Baruch Mordechai, Ben Morino Rab Nason, Zichron Livracha, and Said and Simahakin for a Shlima for their granddaughter, Talia Miriam Bas Orli Yehudit. We hope that in the merit of our, of our Talmud Torah, Emirat Hashem, all of the Neshama should have an Aliyah, and all of those who require a Refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Both said, let us begin. A lot to do today. Today's daf is Pei Dalit, 84. We are picking up Emirat Hashem on the bottom of Pei Gimel, on the base, Baruch Hashem. We, uh, we covered good ground over, uh, over Yantiv. We left off at the two dots. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer. So both say, the Gemara says, remember, the Gemara is quoting the Mishnah now, of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said in the Mishnah, just quoting, finding the quotation, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said as follows, this was on the last case, where a husband writes to his wife, Din udvaran inli b'nechsayich, o b'perosehen, o b'perosehen, b'chayich, o b'moseich. So Rabbi say here essentially he's relinquishing rights to everything, to everything, right? To the actual property, to the peros, to the peros, perosehen, during her lifetime, as well as even after her death. So ultimately, again, the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said that Halacha Lamaisa, it's effective. He's relinquished everything. Rabbi Shimon said, no, if she dies, if she dies, he inherits her. Why? Because ultimately, again, that part of the stipulation is void. Because that is Masna Amasha Kasav Batora. He's going ahead and stipulating um, in a way that contradicts Torah law. Since Torah law says that a husband inherits his wife, and any time you make a tenai, which runs contrary to the biblical law, the tenai is bottle. Tenai is bottle. So it says the Gemara, here we go. Rav, Rav says, the halach in fact follows Rav Shimon but not for his reasoning. Not for his reasoning. So Gemara says, what does that mean? My halach of Rav Shimon but say, what does that statement mean? So again, just very simply, Rav Shimon essentially says like this, you can make a tenai to go ahead and forego any rights you have in your wife's property. That's your right. The one thing you can't do is make a tenai that says you will not inherit her. Because if you do that, you're making a tenai which runs contrary to biblical law. Anytime you make a tenai contrary to biblical law, the tenai is bottle. Comes Rav, Rav says the halacha follows Rav Shimon Gamliel, but not for his reasoning. What does that mean? So let's analyze. Namely, that even if you made a tenai not to inherit your wife upon her death, that you still inherit her. So the Gemara says, Maybe what Rav is saying is like this. But not for his reasoning. Namely what? Rav holds that masna amasha kasuv if you make it tonight, which runs contrary to biblical law, 
What's Talacha? Your Tanai is Batal. Whereas Rav holds that your Tanai works. Rav says you can make a Tanai which runs contrary to biblical law. Is that true? The Gemara is from Rav Furthermore, Rav holds that the idea that a husband inherits his wife, that idea is a din dirabanon. And the Chachamim say sometimes we're more machmer with their own laws than biblical law. So we'll say, so watch just what happened over here, just to follow the progression very quickly. So essentially, Rav is coming along and saying like this. So we'll say, so what's Talacha? What's Talacha? A husband makes a Tanai not to get any benefit from his wife's property, the Peros, Pere Peros, during her lifetime and after her death. What's the Halacha? The Tanai works when? When? During her lifetime, but when she dies, he inherits her. Rav Shimon logic is because you can't make a Tanai which runs contrary to biblical law. Rav comes along and says, the Halacha follows Rav Shimon but not for his reasoning. So we'll say, so what does that mean? So maybe that means that according to Rav, Rav says like this, number one, Rav holds that if you make a tonight which runs contrary to biblical law, it does work. Furthermore, again, Rav holds that the ability for a husband to inherit his wife or the right that a husband has to inherit his wife is only midrabanan. But even though it's midrabanan, sometimes Chazal made their own halachas even stronger than daraisas. So Rav is agreeing with the bottom line of Shiving Amliel but disagreeing ultimately again as to how they got there. Fine. To which the Gemara says, Tapa Peidal, Vesavarav Tano Kayim. Vesavarav Tano Kayim. Let's say it's Kayim. Well, no, during two days of Yantiv, we got a whole blot done. There must be a special Siyata Deshmaya by Yantiv that we don't, I don't have during the week. Okay, in any event, the Gemara says, Fals. Vesavarav Tano Kayim. Does Rav hold the Halacha Lamaisa again? The Tanai is Kayim, right? Does Rav, does Rav hold, does Rav hold the Halacha Lamaisa again? That if you make a Tanai which runs contrary to biblical law, the Tanai works. Vaha Itmar, both say it's a fascinating case. listen to this case. Let's say I sell Ruvain an item. And I say to Ruvain, this sale will be valid on the condition that you have no claims of Ona against me. Both say, what's Allah of Ona? of Ona? Overcharging, undercharging. Remember again, so I, essentially I say to, I say to Ruvain, this sale is valid. As long as you have no claims of ona against me, what's talacha? Rav Amar Yeshalav ona. Ushmul Amar Einlo Alav ona. So interesting. If Shmuel holds that it works, Shmuel holds that it works. Ultimately, again, Rav says it doesn't work. So what do you see from here? That Rav holds Masna Amasha Kasov Batora Tinao Batel. Rav, in fact, holds that when you go ahead and you make it tonight, which runs contrary to biblical law. The tonight is bottles. Okay, so he, 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 he will say, that's good news. He's agreeing with Rabshim Lamilvin in that respect. Hello. So we'll say, so remember, we're trying to, this is actually one of these great discussions where the bottom line is clear and absolute, right? Everyone's agreeing on the bottom line. What's interesting is this statement of Rav, where Rav comes along and says that Halach Lamaisa, Rav comes along and says that Halach Lamaisa, again, that Halach but not because of his reasoning. That's the piece we're trying to figure out. Ella, halacha, rather again, we mean like this. Halacha is like Rabbi Amiel, who holds that if you make a tonight which runs contrary to the biblical law, your tonight is batal, but not according to his reasoning. Why so? Rabbi Shimon Amiel, Savar, may say 
Rishimuel holds that halacha lamaisa, even when the husband makes the tnai, that he's not going to get any benefit from her property, peros, peray peros, during her lifetime and after her death. So Rishimuel holds that the husband still inherits his wife because the tnai is batal. The Rav Savar, Rav, on the other hand, holds that no, when the wife dies, the husband does not inherit her. Well, one second, if that's the case, then ultimately, again, Rav is subscribing to the idea of Rishimuel, but ultimately, again, not the bottom line halacha. Ela, halacha Rather, Rav is saying like this, the halacha actually follows Rav Shemengamiel, but again, not, not in accordance with the reasoning. How so? Di'ilu Rav Shemengamiel savar, bid'oraisa t'no'u batel, habid'rabonon t'no'u kayim. Very interesting, I will say. Rav Shemengamiel holds like this. If you make a t'nai, which runs, which runs contrary to biblical law, your t'nai is batel. What happens if you make a tenai which runs contrary to rabbinic law? What's talah? Rabshimwil huh? holds that the tenai is kayim. Tenai is kayim. So the most of Rav Savar, We'll say Rav goes a step further, and Rav actually holds that even if you make a tenai which runs contrary to what? Contrary to rabbinic law, to rabbinic law, your tenai is bottle as well. Well, if that's the case, hi, kitame. Then I will say, in reality, then Rav is fully agreeing with Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. In other words, the fact that he adds on something additional, he's still agreeing with the Ikra Halach Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. For Rav Mosifu, Rav just adding something else on. Ella, hal- so I will say, again, I just want to point out, we're just trying to figure out, Rav made an interesting statement. Rav said, the Halach of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, but not, a, but not his reasoning. So the bottom line is correct, but not as reasoning. We're trying to figure out what does that mean. So the verse is Ella, Ella, Halacha Rav Shem Gamliel, the Amr Imesi Rashena. So we'll say so again. Rav meant like this: Halacha Falz Rav Shem Gamliel, namely that if the husband made the tenai, not to get any benefit from his wife's property, peros, pere peros, during her lifetime, during her death, during her lifetime, ultimately the tenai works. After her death, the tonight no longer works. To no bottle. So the Gemara says, Here we go. The Ila Rabbi Gamil Savar, Yerushas Habalda Raisa, the Cholamasta Masha Kasabator, to no bottle. Because remember again, I'm sure holds that the ability or the right that a husband has to inherit his wife is a biblical right. And therefore, when the husband goes in and makes it tonight that he's not going to inherit, he's Masna Amasha Kasabatora. That's Rav Shemuel holds. Oh, the Rav Sava, Rav on the other hand holds, Yerushas Habal Dirabanan. So we'll say, listen to this. Here's where Rav disagrees. Rav holds that Halacha the ability or the right that a husband has that he inherits his wife, is not Daraisa. It's Dirabanan. But watch this. Bechachamim Asu Chizik Ledevreim Keshel Torah. But I will say, Bechachamim made it, went ahead and made their law just as strict as a Dorai. So, oh, so now Rabbi say, here we go. So now, now I understand this. So Rav says, namely, that if you make it tonight not to inherit your wife, such a tonight is bottle, such, so Rav agrees with that. What does he disagree? He disagrees with the reasoning of Shemgamil. Rav Shemgamil says the reason why the tonight is bottle is why, is why? 
because such a tnai, because such a right, the right of inheritance is Doraisa. If you make a tnai that's masna amasha kasav batora, you're making a tnai which runs contrary to biblical law. Anytime you make a tnai which runs contrary to biblical law, what's talacha? What's talacha? Your tnai is batal. So Rav says, I agree with your bottom line halacha, but this is with your reasoning. Rav holds that a husband's right to inherit his wife is not Doraisa. It's Dirabanan. But yet, and this is a case where Chazal made their enactment just as strict as biblical law. So I'll agree with the bottom line, but disagree, disagree with your mechanism or disagree with your reasoning. Fascinating. One second. Is that true? Rav holds that a husband's ability or husband's right to inherit his wife is only a Dirabanan. Vatanan, we learned, Rabbi Yochanan Baraka Omer, Hayoresh es Ishto Yachsulibne Mishbacha, Binachilahemin Adamim. So, this is an interesting case. Interesting case. Rabbi Yochanan Baraka says like this A husband inherits his wife. Husband inherits his wife. So, I will say, So, what should he do during Yovel? Very interesting. During Yovel, during Yovel, he has to go ahead and return the property to his wife's family. But ultimately, again, they have to pay him back. So, interesting halacha. So a husband inherits his wife. Yovel comes. What's we'll it? Well, Yovel, you're 50, right? The Jubilee year, right? You're 50. What happens during Yovel? All property goes back to original owners. So Rabbi Yochan Morocco says like this, right? Reuven was married to Rachel. Rachel died. Reuven inherited his wife. Comes Yovel. Comes Yovel. He has to give the property back to her family, but ultimately, they pay him some price for the property. And we asked about this. My kasavar, I don't understand. What's going on over here? If you hold that Yerusha's husband's ability to inherit his wife is a daraisa, then why does he have to give it back to his wife's family at Yovel? See, I will say, I just want to point out, um, um, inheritance does not revert back at Yovel. Right, Because inheritance is not considered to be transactional. Only transaction, property purchases, right, conveyances revert back. But usually, again, inheritance does not revert back. So I don't understand. Why is a husband giving back the inheritance from his wife during Yovel? If you hold it, ultimately, again, it's Daraisa, it shouldn't go back. And if it's only Darabanan, in other words, if you hold me Darabanan, a husband inherits his wife, but not Daraisa, then it should go back at Yovel. And why should the husband get any money from his wife's family? So Rav Rav says, well, say Rav interprets this, the Olam Sharishaso Eshto Beisakvaris. Rav will say, this is interesting. What did the husband inherit from his wife? An unusual inheritance? A cemetery. A cemetery, right? He inherits a cemetery. Rav will say, now listen to this. So Rav says like this. Rav says, Rav is saying like this. Really, when a husband inherits his wife, such Yerusha is Doraisa, is Doraisa. So why does he have to give it back to her family? Because he inherited a cemetery. Mishum Pigam Mishpacha. I will say it was, I don't know, common, but sometimes family had cemeteries, right? What was the point of a family cemetery? Take a wild guess, right? To bury the family in it. It was considered to be something not nice, like a degradation for the mishpacha, for outsiders to be buried in a family cemetery. So therefore, again, in a, in a specific case of family cemetery, Chazal said, even though the husband's inheritance of his wife is a daraisa, comes Yovel, 
give back this cemetery to the wife's family. So therefore, he gives it back, even though really, really he owns it. But because, again, it's it's not nice for the family, give it back. Ultimately, again, they're going to pay him for it. However, what money could they subtract from the amount they pay him? So we'll say, interestingly enough, the amount they could subtract is what? The value of his wife's grave. Meaning what? Since a husband has an obligation to go out and bury his wife, therefore they can subtract out that amount. Kedisanya, as we learned, Hamocher, Kivro, Vederech Kivro, Ma'amado, Makom, Espedo, Ba'amene, Mishpacha, Vekhovren, Oso, Ba'karcha, Mishum, Pegam, Mishpacha. So we'll say, interestingly enough, Halacha, Lamaisa, Halacha, Lamaisa, if a person sells off his grave, so let's say, let's say I have a family, I have, I have a portion in a family plot, I sell off my grave, or again, I sell off derech to the grave, the pathway to the grave. Or ultimately, again, there's a spot for my eulogy or a spot for my, a spot for my ma'amad, and I sell off these places. Interestingly enough, if I die, my family has the right to seize these things from the purchaser and bury me there. Why? Because I will say, again, to have someone not of the family buried in a family plot is considered to be a pegam mishpacha. Good, I will say, what do we see from here? What do we see from here? It appears that Rav holds that a husband's inheritance of his wife is a do'oraisa, not a dirabanan, to which the Gemara holds, to which the Gemara says, So Rav, in reality, was just saying in accordance with the opinion of Yochanan and Baroka, but he does not agree with it. So therefore, I will say, what comes out of here is as follows. If fundamental machlokes, Rav and Rav Shimon Gamliel, about a husband's right to inherit his wife. Everyone agrees that a husband inherits his wife. Rabbi Shigunil holds that that is a din da'oraisa. Rav holds that it's a din drabanan. Therefore, again, in the Mishnah's case where the husband writes, din udvaran eli benichsayich, obeperos, essentially gives up all rights, all rights during her lifetime and her death. Rabbi Shimon Gamil holds that Allah still inherits her. Why does he inherit her? Because the right of a husband to inherit his wife is a biblical right. You can't go ahead and make a tenai which runs contrary to a biblical right. And if you do, the tenai is batal. Rav, Rav says, Rabbi Shimon Gamil, I agree with you, but not because you're reasoning. I hold a husband's right to inherit his wife is what? Is what? Adra banan. But, chachamim asu chizuk ledren kishal Torah. The rabbis made their law as stringent as biblical law. And therefore, again, I will agree with you that in this case, when the husband makes a tenai, not to inherit his wife, the tenai does not work. Beautiful. Mishnah. was an interesting case. The Yarshan. A guy dies. We'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain dies. And we'll say, Ruvain dies, what happens? He leaves behind the wife, Rachel. Ubalchov. He also leaves behind some debts. The Yarshan and inheritors. And inheritors. So he leaves behind a wife, Kids and debtors. It's like a regular day, right? Right, right. And I say, hey, so a wife, right? A wife, debtor, and kids. So I will say, so the Gemara says as follows. So, so what's that luck? I will say, Vahayullah Pikadon, Omilva Biyadachir. Now, I will say, Ruvain, Ruvain goes ahead and now has a Pikadon. Pikadon means, right, um, collateral, an object, right? So he leaves behind property that's in the possession of others, or ultimately, again, a milva, somebody owes, owes him money. So in other words, he leaves behind assets 
which are currently in the hands of someone else. As they're both said, they're not in the estate right now. In other words, they're part of the estate, they're owed to the estate, but not in the estate. So we'll say, what's the shayla? What's the shayla? Who gets the money? Who gets the money? Rabbi Tarfon Omer, Rabbi Tarfon says, Rabbi Tarfon says, you give it to the weakest position creditor. Okay, so it's not clear who that refers to. We'll see in the Gemara. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, There's no Rachmanes in Din. No Rachmanes in Din. So who do you give it to? Eli Yinastu Liyarshin. Rather, Rabbi Kiva says, Everything goes to the inheritors, to the estate. Shekulon Tzrichen Shavua, Ben Yarshin Tzrichen Shavua. Because we'll say, interestingly enough, an Almana, right, a widow, if she wants to collect from the estate, she needs to collect with a Shavua. Right? What's the Shavua, Rabbi The Shavua is that she has not been paid out during her husband's lifetime. Similarly, any creditors want to collect from the estate also could only collect with a shvua. The only people who don't need a shvua, who don't need an oath to collect from the estate or to inherit the estate are the Yisomim. So Rabbi Akiva says, essentially, the Yisomim have the strongest position and therefore the default is everything comes to them. When we say everything comes to them, everything comes back to the estate. If let's say Ruven died and he left behind again detached produce, whichever one of the creditors acquires them first, acquires them. What happens if the woman acquired detached produce and she acquired detached produce in excess of the value of her ksuba? Or or for that matter, again, the debtor, sorry, the creditor, takes detached produce more than the value of his loan. What's ta'alacha? So hamosar, what do you do with the excess? Rabbi Tarfon says, give it to the weakest position, position creditor. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, there's no rachmanas in judgment. Rather, again, I will say, any amount of excess of detached produce automatically goes to the inheritors. Why? All of them require a shvua to collect from the estate of Ruvain, but ultimately, again, inheritors do not require a Shavua. Beautiful. Says the Gemara, So remember again, the Mishnah begins with a statement, Ruvain dies, he leaves behind a wife, children, or I should say a wife, a creditor, right, and children. And he also has in his possession, right, a Milva, alone, which means, again, someone owes him money, someone owes him money, or a picadon. He deposited an object with someone else. So in other words, there's money coming to the estate. It's not currently in possession, but it's coming to the estate. So the Gemara says, why do you need both the case of he's owed a loan and a picadon? Why do you need both of those cases? To which the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. If it would have just said a loan, that's Rabbi Tarfan says, Give it to the weakest position, right? To the weakest position, right? Why? Because a milva is not considered to be owned by the estate. There's a concept that when you lend money, that money becomes the complete, that, that money becomes owned by the debtor and it's in the debtor's possession. I would have said that's the case. Rabbi Tarifan says that that goes to the weakest position, weakest position, um, weakest position creditor of the estate. However, I will say, but a picadon, a picadon ultimately again, which is extant, right? Ultimately, that should really be, he would agree with Rabbi Akiva, 
and that would become the property of the Yarshim. Right? And it would have just said ultimately again the case of Pikadon, the case of that's Rabbi Akiva holds his position. But again, perhaps in the case of Halva, he would agree with Rabbi Tarfan, therefore it's Yichad, therefore in both cases. Beautiful. So we'll say, so again, Maila Kosha. So we'll say, let's go back. Let's just look at this through the lens of the first case. Ruvain's married to Rachel. Right? Ruvain's married to Rachel. Ruvain dies. Ruvain dies. There are three people who line up for a collection after Ruvain's Levaya. They wait till after the Levaya, right? Or at least the first shovelful, right? So I'll say, so again, now what happens? Who are the three people? A wife who wants her ksuva, right? A, a creditor, a creditor, right? Who wants repayment of his debt. And Yershim, children, right? Now, children aren't coming, obviously, in satisfaction of a specific debt, but Lamaisa, they're coming along claiming their inheritance. So who gets the, and now remember again, the estate, the estate is owed, the estate is owed both a milva or a picadon, right? A loan, so someone owes Ruvain money or someone has a picadon from Ruvain. Okay, so I'll say, so who, 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 what's the order? Who gets it? Rabbi Tarfon says, give it to the weakest position, right? So amongst the, amongst the wife, creditor, children, give it to the weakest position. Rabbi Akiva says, there's no Rachmanis here. Everything goes to the Yarshim. Everything goes to the estate. Okay. So it says the Gemara, my, my koshal, my lekoshal, means the one who has the weakest proof, the weakest, the weakest star. So we'll say, Rashi understands this to mean, ultimately, whoever has the latest claim, the latest claim. So we'll say, in other words, so if you look at this, so you have children, a wife, children, a wife, and a creditor. So whose claim is latest? Whose claim is latest? Whoever has the latest claim, in other words, whoever came on the scene last, that's considered to be the person with the weakest claim. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, 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 it means to the ksuva of the wife. Why? Mishum chino. So we'll say, it's actually interesting. We have a vested interest in paying off a wife first. Why? Because we want women to feel secure entering into marriage. So essentially, how do you make a woman feel secure entering into marriage? Well, number one, you provide for her in marriage. And what else do you do? In the event of death or divorce, what does she become? What does she become? A first position creditor. So Gemara says, that's what it means, koshal, the weakest one. In other words, we give her first rights. Kitanai, zmachlo kitanai. Rabbi Yomin Omer, Lekoshel Shabaraya, Vohu Kasher, Rabbi Elazar Omer, Leksuvas Isha Mishim Chino. Okay, so there's Machlokis Rabbi Sayyid Rabbi Tarfan. What does Rabbi Tarfan mean when he says, give it to the weakest one? Weakest one could either be the one with the latest claim, right? Chronologically, the latest claim. Or ultimately, again, no, it just means Ksuvas Isha, because Halacha Lamaisa, again, we want her to feel secure as a first position creditor. Incredible. So the says, so I'll say, so remember again, the next case of Mishnah was like this. Ruvain dies, Ruvain dies, and what happens? He left detached produce. He left detached produce. So we'll say, so now what happens with detached produce? Whoever gets there first out of all the creditors, right? So we'll say, so now remember again, so let's say wife comes, creditor comes, children comes. So then we'll say, the Gemara said, Rabbi Akiva, now remember, then the Mishnah says, what happens if, let's say, the various people seized of detached produce and there was excess? Who does the excess go to? So once again, Rabbi Tarifin said, Rabbi Tarifin said, to the weakest one, 
Rabbi Akiva said, no, there's no Rachman Sovir. Everything comes to the estate. Everything comes to the orphans. Says the Rabbi Akiva, my area Moser, why does Rabbi Akiva have to deal with excess? Kulhu nami diyashinavu. Rabbi said, one second, according to Rabbi Akiva, in the case, Rabbi said, it makes it sound like that when there's detached produce, everyone has rights. But that's not true. According to Rabbi Akiva, whenever Ruvain dies, Rabbi said, who does the estate go to? Right? Remember again, according to Rabbi Akiva, the way this works is like this. Ruvain dies, what happens with the estate? What happens with the estate? Yarshim. Automatically becomes the possession, possession of the inheritors. Now, once the Yarshim own it, now we have to settle the estate. Now there are different things. You're supposed to say, this, this is the fundamental machogis. In Rabbi Tarfun's model, it's really fascinating. In Rabbi Tarfun's model, Ruvain dies. It's possible that what's going to happen, wife is going to come along or some other lower position is going to come along and see stuff from the estate. And Rabbi Akiva's model, no. Ruvain dies, automatic transition of the estate to the Yarshim. That's how it works. Okay, now the Yarshim own the estate. Now people are coming to the estate and they're saying, you owe me this, you owe me that. Then there's a mechanism to satisfy these debts. According to Rabbi Akiva, what do you mean the excess of the detached produce? The detached produce in its entirety becomes the possession of the Yarshim. To which the Gemara says, You're right. Since Rabbi Tarfin used Lashon of Moser of excess, Rabbi Akiva also said excess. But in Rabbi Akiva's model, once Ruvain dies, if there's detached produce that automatically becomes the possession of the of the children of the inheritors. Amit Bezer will say, Rabbi Akiva, Tfisa, Lomahan Yiklal. So what's the current Rabbi Akiva? So the is asking. So let's analyze this. This is very interesting. So, so watch this case. Watch this case in just a moment. Right? So Ruben dies. Right? Ruben dies. What happens? He leaves behind the field. On the field, let's say they just harvested the wheat. So now there's detached produce on the field. On the, on the field. In Rabbi Tarfan's model, what happens? So if you could imagine, the widow comes, she grabs wheat. Right? Somebody lent Ruben money. He comes, grabs wheat. The children grab weeds. Everybody's grabbing what they want. And then again, if there's excess, then we figure out what to do with the excess. And Rabbi Akiva's model, Rabbi Akiva's model sounds like no one has a right to grab anything. Because who does, right, who does the detached produce belong to? Who does it belong to? The Yarshim, the children. So now the Gemara says, well, one second. Is that true? That according to Rabbi Akiva, if somebody grabbed, let's say a creditor of Ruvain's, grabbed detached produce, would that grabbing of detached produce not work? That's called Tfisa. Would Tfisa of movable property not work in satisfaction of a debt? Amirav, Amrav Nachman, Vahusha Tafas Michayim. Fascinating. It works. The boss said, Do you know when grabbing of detached produce works by, for a creditor? If he did it while Ruven was alive. So, Boss Rabbi Kivo say this once Ruven dies, everything he owns effectively becomes possession of who? Of who? Of, of, of the Arshim. But if, if, if Ruven had detached produce while he was alive, and Ruben had a creditor, right, who lent him $1,000, and now his creditor wants to come and seize detached produce in satisfaction of a debt, that would work. That would work. Michaim, that would work. Or Rabbi Tarfun, I was according to Rabbi Tarfun, the man So now listen to this. Now, according to Rabbi Tarfun, Rabbi Tarfun holds that Allah, even after the death of Ruben, even after the death of Ruben, so let's, right, let's play this out. Ruben has a wheat field, it was harvested. Ruben dies. After Ruvain's death, Kurnitra Bitarfan, what could happen over here? Wife comes and what could she do? What could she do? 
grab wheat for ksuva. Creditor comes and what could he do? Grab wheat for satisfaction of the debt. This is fascinating. Where's the wheat? Where's the wheat? Right? Where's the wheat? Where, where is the wheat lying? So the Gemara says, listen to this. Ravu Shmuel. Ravu said, take a look at Rash for just a moment. See, what Rabbi Tafran is asking you like, is like this. We generally assume, Bosai, that when Ruvain dies, what happens to his estate the moment after he dies? What happens? It becomes Yerusha. So it must be that in a case where Rabbi Tafran is allowing seizure of movable property in satisfaction of other debts, the property must be somewhere where it lends itself to seizure. Because you see, how did I set up the case? How did I set up the case? I said, Rabbi says, where was the detached wheat lying? Where was it lying? On the field. Can't be. Why? Because Rabbi says, when Ruvain dies, who owns the field? Who owns the field? The Arshim. And Bepashtus, who owns whatever's lying on the field? The Arshim. So it must be that when Rabbi Tarfun sets up a case that Ruvain is dying, or not dying, Ruvain died, and now other people have a right to seize movable property in satisfaction of their individual respective debts, that movable property must be somewhere other than the field. So where is it? So we must listen to this. Oh, interesting. They will say, where's the property? Where's the property? In public domain. In other words, you can imagine the case, Ruven had taken the field to sell, to, I'm sorry, taking the wheat to sell it in the marketplace. He died in the marketplace. So now where is the wheat? The wheat is in Rosh Sarabim. Oh, that's the case Rabbi Tarifun says, if the wife comes along and seizes the wheat in satisfaction of Reksuva, a lender comes along and seizes the wheat in satisfaction of his debt, that could work. Aval besimta lo. I will say in a simta, now we've had simta, we had supposed to remember simta from our Erevin days. What's a simta? Look at Rashi, last white line in Rashi, simta. Karen zavis hasmuchol rishosarabim ubenei adam haosin tzchora zem zebeshekarabosai. Simta is like a quieter corner of the Rosh Hashanah. So it's still called Rosh Hashanah, but it's a bit more private. So I would say if it was red, but if the, if the wheat was in a simta, then ultimately, again, that would be the position, possession of the Yarshim. And I would not be able to take it. And Rabbi Yochum Rosh say, no, 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 even if it was in a simta, others could still want to take it. So I would say, a fascinating qualification. See, even Rabbi Tarfun who says that when Ruven dies, a wife, a creditor could come and seize movable property in satisfaction of their debt. That's only if the movable property is not on the karka of the Yarshim. So if it's in Rosh Sarabim, they could come and take it. But if it's in Rosh Sayach, they cannot. So let's watch this. Don Danik Ravitafen. So one time, Dayonim, Dayonim, Paskind like Ravitafen. Namely, Rabosai, namely what? Ultimately, again, they allowed, they allowed the wife or creditor to seize movable property after the death of Ruvain for satisfaction of their individual debts. And Reish Lakish, listen to this, Reish Lakish made them reverse their decision. Right? Reish Lakish said, no, wrong psak. We passed in like Rabbi Akiva. There's no Rachman. So Rabbi Akiva we passed like Rabbi Akiva. When Ruvain dies, what happens to all of his possessions immediately upon death? become the property of the Yarshim. Okay, wife, you want to collect your ksuva, debtor, right, creditors, you want to collect your debt, there's a mechanism, there's a mechanism, right, you're not without recourse, but right after death, it becomes the possession of the Yarshim. So, Rabbi Yochanan, Asisa Kishal Torah? Rabbi Yochanan says, wow, 
you're treating as like a daraisa, that you're literally willing to go ahead and reverse judgments. So let me know say, perhaps this is what they're arguing about. Here we go. Demar Savar, one opinion holds, that if you make, if you make a mistake with an explicit ruling in a Mishnah, that is a reversible decision. Umar Savar Tar Mishnah, the other opinion says, no, even if you make a, a, a mistake in an explicit ruling in Mishnah, you don't reverse. And therefore, again, I will say, that's the Machlokas. No, no, it's not true. Everyone agrees that if a Bezid makes a mistake with an explicit ruling of a Mishnah, ultimately, again, the mistake, does, the mistake is reversed. It's reversed. Here's the One says, always follows Rabbi Akiva whenever he's arguing against someone else. But not when he argues against his Rabbi. Umar savar halacha filu Others say that Allah even follows Rabbi Akiva even when he argues with his Rabbi. And Rabbi say, we're assuming over here that Rabbi Tarfon is Rabbi Akiva's Rabbi. People say the other possibility is, Everyone agrees that Allah follows Rabbi Akiva when he's arguing with his, with his fellow, but not with his Rabbi. Here's what they're arguing about. One says Rabbi Tarfon was the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. Umar Savar Hava. And ultimately, one says it wasn't his Rebbe, but rather it was his colleague. The other possibility is Everyone agrees that Rabbi Tarfon was Rabbi Akiva's colleague. Here's what they're arguing about. Umar Savar Matin Itmar. One said that Allah was Rabbi Akiva. The other said not that Allah was Rabbi Akiva, rather we lean like Rabbi Akiva. So we'll stop over here for today. So again, we're leaving off with this machlokis Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarifon, namely what happens with an estate when Ruvain dies. According to Rabbi Akiva, everything automatically becomes the possession of the Yarshim and everything is settled from there. According to Rabbi Tarifon, not true. According to Rabbi Tarifon, we give the property first to the weakest position. What's the definition ultimately again of weakest position? That's a machlokis. Either, la- either whoever's, whoever's claim came later or ksuvas isha, Hello, hello, my sir. We'll see you tomorrow. Shkoyach.